All right, good morning, friends. You know, we, uh, we, we broadcast our first service on Facebook, and sometimes we say, um, like, idioms. You know what idioms are, like ways of expressing things, and our friends in Nigeria and Rwanda and Uganda who watch, sometimes they don't know the idioms, like, I have a frog in my throat. And I said that in the first service. I think they're still trying to figure out how the pastor has a frog in his throat. It just means... <coughs> It just means that you're congested and you need to cough. That's all. All right. So you see this lovely sanctuary? It's amazing. And, and, and probably in 2007, 2006, God was whispering to me. And everybody says God tells him stuff. Well, I thought it was God. And it was very clear. He goes, I don't want you guys to have a mega church, but I want you to have more space. And after the next phase, you're just going to be planting churches, Right? And I'm like, God, that's fine with me because I don't want to be a megachurch pastor. I, I just, that's not my deal. Um, but the vision was clear, and it just wouldn't go away. And can I tell you, like, maybe some pastors get excite, excited about buildings. Do you know I've never once gone to sleep at night going, I'm so excited about a new sanctuary. Like, I'm excited about people. I'm excited about the gospel. Buildings are awesome. I mean, I like to use them. It's kind of like a blender. I'm glad I have one. But I don't, I don't go to bed at night, boy, oh, boy, I got a blender. Um, so, anyway, a God vision was given. And God said, you know what? I spared you guys, when y'all were kicked out of the Episcopal Church, I spared you guys of losing your building and your property. And, and, and so, I'm going to strengthen you guys so that you may be a blessing to others. And let me just tell you, the vision was clear. I believe it was from the Lord. It didn't come in a letter, but it was, you know that you know that you know, and you test it. Well, let's just say not everybody was excited about that vision. We had people leave our church and go to First Baptist, who, by the way, had just finished their own building program. And I'm like, you hypocrite. You're leaving because of the building program, but you're going to go live in their new building. Wow. Then there were other people that were a bit more nefarious, whispering in the bushes, Quig's doing this for his ego, blah, blah, blah. You know how it starts. Blah, blah, blah. The tongue's an unruly member. Had a couple of vestry people leave, uh, leave. We had one staff person directly undermine me in very creative ways. And I began to go like, Lord, did I hear from you? Like, what's all this opposition about? Like, I don't need, I don't need a building. I got a seat. And God just kept, but it's not for you, Quig. It's for, the, for those who will come. And God knew things he didn't even tell me. Like, you know, our old sanctuary? We kind of had this idea that we might use this in some way, but we, that was just kind of an afterthought. We were really concerned with this and the youth center and the children. And um, what we didn't know at the time is how much would go on in that building. Man, you want to talk about where we worship? We worship a lot over there. Do you know we have Celebrate Recovery? Every Monday night we serve dinner, and it is powerful, y'all. We have um, Alpha there where people hear the gospel plainly. People that are unchurched are coming. Uh, we have community Bible study. We have our own Bible studies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. God is getting a lot of bang for his buck over there. But let me just tell you that, that the opposition was fierce. There was letters. There was gossiping in the bushes, people trying to get me fired. But I held to the vision because sometimes you know that you know. And to make it more fun and to prove the opposition's point, God appointed a recession and stock market crash just to see if I would trust him. 
Do you remember 2007, 2008 when your 401ks or whatever you might have had at that point went poof? And that was exactly the time we were asking people to give over and above their tithe to build a building so that we could be a blessing to others. You guys, the opposition was fierce. But like Nehemiah, I wish I had spent more time in Nehemiah at that point. But like Nehemiah, I knew that the Lord had spoken it and I knew that the Lord would strengthen our hand. So I want you guys to go Nehemiah 6 and I want you to see they're almost through doing the project God gave them to do. Do you remember Nehemiah? It was a cupbearer for Artaxerxes and he got a report back that uh, the city of Jerusalem, the place where he loved and where he grew up, that, that the city of Jerusalem was in ruins and spiritually the people were in ruins. And so they had started to rebuild the temple but duh, they did there was no locks on the doors, if you will, right? The walls were all falling down, which means every bad guy, can you say bad guy? That's what little kids, he's a bad guy. Every bad guy could just rush in and have his way with them. He could destroy him, kill him, take him over. And so Nehemiah says, God, I see the ruins. I see the ruins of, of the walls. I see the, the ruins of the city. I see the ruins of the people. And, and God sent him back to rebuild the walls. And friends, it was an extreme makeover. You know that show where they, have, they take a house and it's like in 24 hours or 48 hours or something ridiculous. They take this knockdown house and make it into something beautiful or they build a new house. That's exactly what God is doing here. And so we see in verse uh, Nehemiah 6, it says, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it. San, uh, verse 2, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come, let's meet together. Let's meet in the plain of Ono. And, but they, Nehemiah said, but they intended to do me harm. And so first, Sanballat. Just know, Sanballat is not a Jew. He is a governor of Samaria and he does not want the Jews to rebuild and get strong or to walk in God's ways because he, he fears losing power and losing money. He did not want Israel to be strong. He was, if you will, an anti-Christ, an anti-Israelite. And Sanballat and Tobiah, remember they were nipping and gossiping and slandering, and it spreads. That's the thing. It's just like a fire, right? Was it James says, the tongue is an unruly member. Who can tame it? who set, a, set a, a big blaze of fire but your tongue. So Sanballat and Tobiah had been running their mouth. And then they, as gossips always do, they, they, they found a friend who was willing to join the happy party, Geshem, the Arab. What in the world does he care about Jerusalem? He's an Arab. Geshem, the Arab, and it says, and the rest of our enemies. And so do you see how opposition, opposition, when people are mad and when they have an agenda and they yip in the bushes, do you see how it spreads? Satan, a house, the, the scripture says a house divided cannot stand. And so what they're trying to do is make the house divided. They're trying to stop what God is doing. So you got Sanballat, you got Tobiah, you got Geshem, and the rest of the enemies. And they heard that the wall had been built. And so then look in verse 2. Sanballat and Geshem, they have a strategy. They have a strategy. Sanballat and Geshem sent to uh, Nehemiah saying, come, let's meet together. Isn't that Southern, y'all? This is like, I always say there's no snake meaner than a Southern snake. The further south you go, the meaner the snake. 
and they will bless your heart as they bite you. Right? My friends down south agree with me, most of them. He said, uh, Sanballat and Geshem, they're such nice men. They said, hey, come, let's, let's meet together. Let's have fellowship. Let's break bread. Come on, let's, be, let's all get together, right? Let's have some dialogue. And Nehemiah, he knew they, they had no interest in listening to him or being on God's side. They had one intent, and he says it right here. Their intent was to do, to do what? To do me harm. And that's what, that's what it was. And here's the great thing. If God has called you to a task, he by his spirit, because you're not smart enough and I'm not smart enough, God by his spirit will give you wisdom and insight, just as he gave it to Nehemiah. Nehemiah the mind had the mind of Christ. I believe the Holy Spirit was guiding and directing him so that he knew uh, when they said, come, let's meet together, let's have a dialogue, let's sit down. No, he knew it, it was just a lie dipped in sugar. And all they wanted to do was harm him. And so he goes on in verse 3. So how does Nehemiah respond to this invitation to come together and have a dialogue? It says in verse 3, I sent messengers to them and, and said this, Hey, y'all, I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and then come to meet with you guys? And they sent to me four times in this way. One, two, three, four. And I answered them the same time, or, or I answered them the same, in the same manner. Does that remind you of parenting? Right? Hey, mom, can I do this? No. About three seconds later. Hey, mom, uh, would you mind if I did this? No. Hey, mom, and just wear you out, wear you out. Do you know that? Do you know that trick? Kids are brilliant. I don't know how they figure it out. They haven't gone to law school. They figure it out. And if it doesn't work with this one, this judge over here, they go to the next one. Dad, can I do this? Mom, mom hasn't said no yet. Right? Or mom, you know. So they play you. So the bottom line is he says he, he knew that he was on task for God, and he says, no, I'm not coming down. Now, we're going to do a little exercise right now. Look me in the eyes. So I can only look party all in the eyes at one time. All right, y'all. Let me hear you say the word N-O. Say no. no. Do you want to serve on vestry, sir? Would you like to double tithe your income? No. All right. Would you like to come clean my house today? No. Would you like to bake dinner, bring dinner to the Lawrences for the next year? No. Would you like to help some poor people today and I'll give the money to me and I'll figure out where it's going to go would you like to do that you could say yes but you could also say friends what I want you to understand is it's not unchristian to say no right there are times where you're going to say yes where most people would go no I would never do that and the Holy Spirit will lead you that way but here we see a clear indication this is in the text. I, I mean, I just love that Nehemiah knows his call and he knows when to say no. Do you know when to say no? Do you know when to say no? Do you let people pressure you? You know, Jesus said, let your yes be yes. So can we throw away the British speaking effeminate Jesus who just throws lilies and flowers and says, yes, yes, I don't want to offend anybody. Christians, gird your loins. 
Listen to the Lord. And when he puts you on something, sometimes you have to say no. There are things in our other denomination that they were trying to force us to do. And we knew what the Lord said in his word. And we're like, we love you, we respect you. And the answer is still no. So today you have freedom in the Lord, not in your flesh, in the Lord to say no. And that's exactly what Nehemiah did. Now, how many times did they ask him? Well, four times, and then came a fifth time. Sanballat came a fifth time with a letter. He sent a letter. So really, that's five times. He's wearing them out, just like the persistent widow in Scripture. Do you remember the story? She comes and comes and comes to the judge, comes again, comes again, comes again. And he's like, all right, enough already. I'm going to give you what you want because you're wearing me out. And that's what they were trying to do with Nehemiah, just wear him out. And they're using, oh, come on, let's dialogue. You know, there's some things we don't want to dialogue about, right? I, have to, I understand people have different opinions, but there's some things that are so clear in Scripture, I don't want to have a dialogue. Sorry. I don't want to waste my time dialoguing about something that the Lord is crystal clear about. Now, if, if you don't understand it and you really want to dig in the weeds and and get to the truth of God's word, yeah, but if all you want to do is like, let's just agree to disagree, and let's all get along, let's all have a, have a kumbaya uh, gathering. No, we're not doing that. Nehemiah, as a leader, knew when to say no. He knew when not to jump on board the train. All right. Now, you might have noticed the fifth time they asked, what did Sambalot send? Sambalot's a bad guy. Right, he's the governor of Samaria. He's the one that's against what God is doing. What did he send via a messenger? It's really not that hard of an answer. A letter. Now, the letter he sent, the, the scripture, you will note, it says it was a something letter. It was an open letter. Now, I don't know about you guys, but generally when I go to the post office, a post box, uh, and I open a letter, we don't get many of those these days, but when you get a letter, generally especially if it's important, they are sealed. Do you remember when you were a kid, we got lots of letters, and you see one that looks interesting, you thought, I'd like to read that one. And do you know how you, you, know how you could open it up where your mom or dad would never figure it out? Boil water, hold the letter over the steam, and then sometimes it would just open right up, but the other times you'd have to get a letter opener just very gently under steam, pop it open, and there for your little eyes to see is exactly what your eyes were not supposed to see. So the question is, why did Sanballat send his messenger with an open letter? Like, that's not just in the text for fun. They are already spreading gossip and slander, or as we said in the first verse, gossip, lies, and slander. That's what, the, that's what they're doing. You come against God, you're going to use gossip, you're going to use lies, and you're going to use slander. And so he made sure that the envelope was open because he knew, he knew human nature. You get an open envelope, right? It's so easy to go, you know, I just need to know what's in there, right? And so the guy carrying the letter read it. Oh, man, Nehemiah's a jerk. And Nehemiah's doing this, and Nehemiah's doing that. And so then he begins to do what Sanballat and Tobias and Gershom had done themselves. Starts gossiping, whispering in the bushes, right? Doing the devil's work, turning people against Nehemiah with their gossip, their lies, and their slander. Now, it, it, it goes to next to verse 6. It says, in it, in what? 
letter. Thank you. Somebody's tracking. In it was written, it is reported. I love this in church when we hear a bunch of people think such and such is wrong. And I always just like get my feelings hurt and like, oh gosh, maybe we need to change. I'm so sorry. But Tim, he goes, quick, how many? There's always a report, you know, they're really upset or they're really mad. And of course, if they're mad, we better change what we're doing, right? But Tim says, quick, count them. The report is usually one or two people. So don't just think everybody's doing this. So we pick it up. It goes, it is written, it is reported among the nations. Wow, big gossip. It's reported among the nations and Geshem also says uh, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. So what is the strategy of the bad guys to bring down Nehemiah and stop the work of God of rebuilding Jerusalem? What's the tactic they're going to use to stop it? They lie. They just plain lie. You can pick your political party. I think most of all them lie. I think if they want something bad enough, they just look in the camera and tell a bold-faced lie. Blue, red, whatever. They, if they want something, they lie. And so we see this. It says, now they've said, hey, Nehemiah and all these Jews are rebelling. They're rebelling against the current king of Judah. These are dangerous people. They must be stopped. Don't you agree? They should be stopped. And it says, we know that you're rebelling, and that's why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you, Nehemiah, want to become their king. Does Nehemiah ever say anything that he wants to become king? He had a pretty good gig, man. He was a cupbearer of Artaxerxes. Like, that's kind of a big job, right? He has no desire expressed or even indirectly expressed that he wanted to be king. Who would want those headaches? It's like being the president, right? Could you imagine if you were the president? Oh, I'd do great. Not so sure. You'd, you'd be a target for anybody that does, you know, if you do anything they don't like, they're a target and they're going to tear you to pieces. And so in the letter, they're giving, they're, they're just stirring the pot and stirring the pot and they're, they're, they're saying things that are not true. They're saying that Nehemiah and the Jews are trying to rebel, and that's why they're building the wall, and Nehemiah wants to become king. And so what we figure out is gossip, lies, and slander. Gossip, lies, slander. Don't you see it every day on your newsfeed? Gossip, lies, slander. I must, sometimes I have to take a break from the news, and I'm not a one news source guy. I listen to all of them. Gossip, lies, slander, half-truths. That is the gospel of lost people. Gossip, lies, and slander. So the question would be, now this leader, Nehemiah, is in the crosshairs. Now they're doing it to him. They don't really care about him. They just want to stop what he's been tasked to do by the Lord. And so um, what do you imagine if that nice Jesus, you know, the one that, with the British accent, we used to watch in movies. What do you reckon that, that nice fake Jesus, he doesn't exist, that Jesus. What, when we were growing up, what would that nice little Jesus with the British accent say? If somebody, if you're having conflict with somebody, just make, take it, just take it. And there is a time to take it. There is a time to suffer. There is a time to suffer a wrong. But here we're seeing in the scriptures 
that a man of God, and I would say, and a woman of God, on mission, on task, listening to the Lord, you, you can confront lies. You can conf- confront when people are not telling the truth. You, it's not that you defend yourself, but he's actually defending what God is doing. There is a time to, to be quiet and listen. As somebody said, you've got two ears and one mouth. Speak in those proportions. Two ears, one mouth. But what we see Nehemiah doing right here is he, 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 he takes it head on. He takes it head on. And he basically says, what, what you guys are saying is a lie. Here, let's see what the text says. Uh, verse 8, it says, Then I sent to him, saying, uh, I sent to, uh, what's his name? Sanballat. I sent to Sanballat, the one who had sent the open letter, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. Verse 9, For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking that, that our hands or the Jews' hands would drop from the work of rebuilding the wall and it would not be done. And so Nehemiah gets in their face and he just says, stop, you guys are lying. It's just much like Jesus said, you're lying and, and your father is the father of lies. There is a time to speak hard things. But Nehemiah doesn't just, you know, come back at him with a clever retort. You can learn that in law school or in, if you study logic, you can have great retorts. Some of us go home after a conversation and say, oh, dang, I wish I had remembered to say that. But what does he do? Where's the strength to take on the enemy here? Yes, he does speak. Yes, he does confront the lie. But look at the the end of uh, verse 9. He says, but now, but now, this is why I like Bibles and not apps. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. Nehemiah knew, like, there's no way, God, there's no way I can rebuild a wall. Heck, we can't even build one of the southern border, right or wrong. These guys are trying to build a wall around their whole city, two, two and a half miles, with just a bunch of people who probably don't even have the skills and the trade to do it. 52 days. So Nehemiah, under attack, and let me tell you, when you're being attacked, when people are slandering and gossiping about you, you know it. If you, do you lead anything? Little league? Huh. Little League umpire, whoo, you're on the PTA, you're on the this, that. It could be a little tiny committee, and you do something they don't like, off with your head. They start acting like Tobias and Sambalot. They criticize you, and then they start spreading, spreading stuff about you, right? And so we see, finally, Nehemiah recognizes the only way to, to overcome evil is what? In the power of the Spirit, and he says, so, Lord, now you strengthen my hands. God, I, I'm only doing this because you call me to do it. And if, if you, God, if you think I can do it in my strength, I can't. So, Lord, please strengthen my hands to do the work you've called me to do. Isn't that what we say almost every, every Sunday? Go in peace to love and serve the Lord, right? Walk in his strength, and so that was, that was the battle. And let me tell you, friends, there's no sword as sharp as gossip and slander. And yet Nehemiah turned to the Lord because he knew that, that the Lord could handle it. He could expose their lies. He could, he could expose their treachery. Verse 10, it says, Now, so, so after he's confronted the bad guys, they didn't stop. Can you imagine that? 
Like when people get angry and they want their way, they just don't stop. Much like a three-year-old who wants a cookie, he's just going to wear his mom and his dad out. And so they try another tactic. It says in verse 10, Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, so forth and so on, a bunch of names that are hard to pronounce. He was confined to his home. Shemaiah was a prophet, really a false prophet. He's confined to his home, and he has a conversation with Nehemiah, and it says, at his home, he says, hey, Nehemiah, come, let us meet together. So there again, it's this gathering thing. There's a time to gather, but there's also a time not to dance with the devil, right? So he's trying to be religious and suck him in to be a nice religious person. Come to my house. Oh, you're at my house. Come, let's meet together, but let us go now to the house of God. Do you know why he said, let us go to the house of God? One, it sounds very religious, like you ought to do it. But he also knew that Nehemiah was not a priest. And if you're not a priest and you go inside the temple of God, you would be struck down dead. You're not allowed to go in there. At very least, you'd be arrested. And so what this false prophet Shemaiah is trying to do as a tactic is trying to use religion to get him into a place where he would either die, Nehemiah would die, or he'd be thrown in the brig. But Nehemiah just, he wouldn't put up with it. He says this. He says, um, let us close the doors of the temple for they're coming to kill you and they're going to come kill you by night. But I, Nehemiah, said, should such a man as I run away? And what man as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. There again, friends, there's a time and a place to say yes. Can you say yes? I mean, sometimes you say yes and you mean it, right? And can you also say no? Can you stand? <laughs> yes. That's very funny. Tweet that. Put that on the overhead or something. So, anyway... He answers not only Sambalot and Tobias, now Shemaiah, and, and he says in verse 12, I understood and I saw, because the Lord is in this. When the Lord calls you to a task, he gives you his power and his wisdom and his insight. And God had let him see that Shemaiah was not a good guy. He was a prophet, all right, a false prophet. And he said, I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Friends, let me just tell you, if you need to use treachery and deceit, what did we say? Gossip, lies, and slander. If you need to use gossip, lies, and slander and pay somebody to lie, just thinking maybe your position's not a really good one. Just thinking maybe you're in a dark place. And so Nehemiah understood this. And he says, Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God. He's praying again. Remember these men, according to the things they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets. See, there are a lot of people who are against them. So Nehemiah realizes, I can't fight this, Lord. I can't fight this by myself. I need your strength. There are too many people against me. Verse 15, and it says, and so the wall was finished. 52 days. Can you guys imagine this? I have a friend who's trying to build a house right now. AP says it's the county's fault. And the county says it's AP's fault. And everybody's pointing fingers, pointing fingers, pointing fingers. Meanwhile, the house is not even started. 
But these guys built a wall around a city two and a half miles in persecution when they wanted to kill them in 52 days. Do you remember Extreme Home Makeover? Do you remember that show? What was the guy's name? Kind of looked very hip and like he never combed his hair. What's the guy's name? Ty, Ty thank you. Um, what did he say right at the end of the show? When the house had been rebuilt in some ridiculously short time, was it a week? Was it a week? They, they take some dump and make it into a beautiful house or they build a whole new house and they park this big bus in front of the house and when it's time for the big show, what does, what's his name again? Say, I have terrible memory. Ty, Ty Pennington. What did Ty Pennington say? Move that bus. And that's exactly what's happening here. Because Nehemiah had walked with the Lord. He heard the vision. He didn't listen to the naysayers. He didn't dance to their tune. He, he wasn't their servant. He knew when to say no. And he knew when to stay on task. So the wall was finished. And it says, when our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and felt greatly in their own esteem. Or they fell greatly in their own esteem for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of God. Friends, this is, what, this is the whole goal of Nehemiah. This work had been accomplished by the will of God. Or to put it in another way, this work had been accomplished by the strength of the Lord. And so I want to say, if you're a leader, if you lead anything from a little tiny thing to a big thing, learn from Nehemiah, learn that you cannot do anything pleasing to God without involving him, without praying to him, seeking his wisdom. Don't listen to the naysayers. Don't have a dialogue about something you know should not be dialogued about. I use this example in the first service. Oh, we're really late. Okay, we're close. Look, people want to dialogue about whether Jesus is Lord. If that's an honest question, we can sit down and we can talk and I'll be happy to take you to God's word. But if you just want to like bring me to some kind of new insight that Jesus is one of many, no way. I'm not sitting down to dialogue about that. I already know what God says on that. Same with the sanctity of all human life. I'll listen to you. We can talk. We can go to God's word. But we're not going to have an old dialogue where everybody gets along to get along. In the power of Nehemiah had was the power of the Holy Spirit. And God strengthened his hand for the task he was given. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.